Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series held on January 24, 2018, focusing on the new U.S. interest expense limitations. The panelists for the webcast were Mike DeFranzo, a PwC tax principal and leader of our Washington National Tax Services International Tax Service Practice, Rebecca Lee, a PwC tax principal focusing on international tax issues, Krishnan Chandrasekhar, a PwC tax principal and our Global Financial Services and Financial Transactions Transfer Pricing Leader, and Eileen Fine, a director focusing on international tax issues. This podcast excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists on the interest expense limitation and application to pass-throughs. Okay, um, we are going to move, as we talked about the expansion of 163J, <laughs> and we've already hinted about uh, the pass-throughs world. Um, we'll turn that over now to, to uh, begin to, to dive into those pass-through questions. Sure thing. And as a starting point, and I think we should appreciate that Congress provided specific rules on this point. So as a starting point, 163J, so the rules that Eileen walked us through in terms of the mechanics, apply at the partnership level or at the pass-through level, so we're not living out S-corps. And so it's an unusual item as compared to other interest limitations, like 163D, where the attributes are determined at the partnership level and then are allocated out to the partners who take them into account based on their limitations. For example, interest income restriction is calculated at the partnership level, goes up to a corporate partner, corporate partner says, interesting and irrelevant, and calculates no limitation. So at the partnership level under new 163J, your deduction is limited based on the following steps. So the pass-through partnership determines its adjusted taxable income as a standalone entity. You can deduct your business interest to the expense to the extent of up to 30% of its adjusted taxable income against non-separately stated income. The disallowed interest expense is retained at the S-Corp while partnerships allocate this disallowed interest expense to its partners. Let's pause there for a second because that's kind of an interesting differential that we still sort of respect the S-Corporation as a separate entity for this purpose versus partnerships just don't have any items that stay at the partnership level. And then to the extent that the interest is not deductible at the partnership level, the carry forward is at the partner level, which is, again, really interesting. And I'll come back and tease a point that we'll touch on when we get some real-life examples as well, that because these calculations are determined at the partnership level, we have all sorts of interesting dynamics now about what happens when your partners may have different features than your partnership, both from the nature of the income they earn, they earn their limitation, and whether they'd be potentially a taxpayer that's in or out of scope for certain kinds of entity or interest characterizations. So... Moving to the next slide, I think, Eileen, you're going to take us through a little bit more of the mechanic side, and then we'll loop back to some sort of scoping questions of in or out of the rules. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, so as Rebecca just mentioned, the limitation is computed first at the partnership level. Uh, the partner, um, let's assume here we're just a corporate partner, um, your corporate partner cannot take into um, account the distributive share for purposes of its adjusted taxable income computation. So the partner's ATI is determined without the distributive share first. The only adjustment to the partner's ATI that can be made is the distributive share of the partnership's excess taxable income, which is a separate computation. And we have, we have the formula on the slide. 
Um, but it, it's really kind of a, a proportion of um, of thirty percent of ATI uh, less your net business interest expense over over thirty percent of ATI. So the the differential here is really um, what your net business interest expense is. If you have a partnership that doesn't have any net business interest expense because it only has interest income, then the excess taxable income is is just going to be the ATI of the partnership, um, which I think is maybe not a lot of uh, situations. I, I personally just had one I worked on, but sort of a easier way to think about it um, if you if you're not in that net expense situation. Um, so the, what is the partner's distributive share? Um, the, there is a footnote in the legislative history that says that the, the distributive share is, is the, really the ordinary business income and, um, the ordinary business income that's reflected on the K-1, which is, uh, line one of the K-1. Um, if you do, if you do have a carry forward of the disallowed expense at, uh, the, partnership level that's going up to the partner, the partner can only use that uh, disallowed interest expense once it's allocated excess taxable income. So if the partnership never generates enough ATI, then the partner's really never going to get the, the benefit of that disallowed um, interest expense that was pushed up to the partner. Um, an, an interesting point here is how you actually take into account the excess taxable income as um, as an either as an element of ATI or in addition to ATI. So ATI cannot be below zero. So if you were in a loss position, um, based on the way the statute's worded, it seems that then your, your ATI would be zero because you can't drop below zero. And then if you had excess taxable income from the partnership, that would give you a bit of a bump, right? So you could have a, a positive ATI number then that would allow you a, a, large, a slightly larger um, amount of interest expense that could be deducted. Um, so there, there's this, you know, an interpretive issue here, but just something to keep in mind if you are a partner in a partnership. Um, <clears throat> so I think and now we're um, going to touch on uh, some issues for consideration that we're seeing a lot of um, as we... Um, turn to the next slide, please. Um, as we kind of think through various issues um, for partnerships and their partners. And, and certainly the, the first one is an issue that comes up again and again, and I would say is one of the most significant issues that we're facing in interpreting 163J, which is what happens when your partnership has no trade or business uh, but has interest income or expense? Um, you know, going back to Eileen's, the reason we took you through this march on the mechanical rules was so that we could say, we could illustrate, for example, a partnership with no trade or business income is going to have no line one income. So when I go to run the rest of the calculation, I don't have any, um, I don't have any business interest income or business interest expense. So that would be fine if we applied 163J, applied or not applied as appropriate at the partnership level and the analysis stopped this would all hang together nicely. Because I, my first question would be, do I have uh, business interest expense? And the answer would be no, because the partnership is not engaged in a trade or business. And then I would worry about other limitations. So I might worry about 163D or, or other sections that might apply. Um, the statute tells us to apply the test at the partnership level. And if it were that easy, I'd be done. The 
the problem or the challenge is we certainly have other areas where we look to the nature of the partners when they are allocated items, particularly here where you have a partnership not engaged in a trader business. So an interest expense flows up that has not previously been limited by 163J. And if it flows up, for example, to a corporate partner who Congress seems to believe is always engaged in a trader business for all of its activities and all of its income, the question becomes, does does the IRS and Treasury get a second bite at the apple of applying 163J at that corporate partner level because a restriction had not applied at the partnership level? And this is one of those, uh, there's lots of policy debates one could have about what level it should apply at. We also have sort of a, a technical discussion of what do you do with Congress's specific direction that you apply it at the partnership level, for better or for worse. Um, one example that I know has come up recently and frequently when we discuss this topic is there is an example in the sub-K um, anti-abuse rules about interest expense incurred at the partnership level that's allocated up to, part to corporate partners where the interest expense in the corporate partner's hands is subject to limitation under the AHIDO rules because the applicable high-yield debt obligation rules only apply to corporations. And so you've got this sub-K principle that would say in the absence of specific guidance in the statute, like the AHIDO rules, you flow through the deduction and each partner applies their own separate limitation. So it's an open question and certainly one where there's policy arguments on both sides. I think a similar question is where the partnership has net business interest income uh, but also has interest expense. So how does the business interest income flow up to the partners where you have sort of net business interest income as well as the expense? Um, and, and just, yep. and, and just a, a brief comment here is um, remember that when you're computing your ATI, you're backing out your business interest income and expense. So it's not, it's not really a, a double dip to me, right? You, because your, your limitation, remember at the partner level, is your business interest income plus 30% of ATI. Well, you can fl you're flowing your excess taxable income up, which is in addition to ATI, but the excess taxable income is based on based off of the ATI, which mm -hmm. backs out your business interest income and expense at the partnership level. So then it, it sort of seems that if you're actually uh, net income at the partnership level, that that would flow up as as a separate item that can be used in the partner's uh, limitation, right? So, but, but you would need to separately state that on a K-1 because otherwise it could flow into ordinary and the partner just wouldn't, wouldn't would know. know. Yeah. Well, and then there's a separate whole set of allocation questions around, we certainly have partnerships, we've been kind of talking about pure plays. I'm either clearly an investment partnership or I'm clearly engaged in a trader business. But we have lots of partnerships who earn items of both kinds of income. So you're going to see some line one income and you're going to see some investment income as well. And so the question becomes how, if there is indebtedness at the partnership level, how do you allocate between the business in income and the investment income. And I'll say from real life experience, there are some situations where in the absence of an allocation rule, um, basic tracing principles will tell you where the expense is incurred. But with money being fungible, I don't know that you start with sort of basic tracing principles. And we have a whole host of code sections, whether it's 265 for interest incurred to carry tax exempts, or whether 246 cap A, which I know is getting very popular again, because of the participation exemption where you have indebtedness incurred to finance a distribution that's eligible for a dividends received deduction, each of which 
not only have their own uh, tracing rules, special allocation rules, uh, would the debt have been incurred but for the investment, and a host of other principles that apply. Uh, so it's a place where, you know, as a baseline, it would be great to have guidance on the direction of which set of allocation rules ought to apply. Um, I think also it's a it's an opportunity for thinking strategically about planning, that if the answer is unclear based on your current structure, it, are there, is there restructuring that you may want to do to make the answer more clear? And of course, the corollary to this is that you then need places on the K-1 or in the footnotes to flow through all the information so that a partner can consume all this great information and figure out where things are going. Uh, and the last example, um, which I think is another variation on the same thing, is what if the partnership has no direct operations but receives ECI, or effectively connected income, from one of its investments? And that's separate and apart from its interest income and expense. Is the ECI itself enough to cause the partnership and its partners to have business interest income or expense for purposes of 163J? And this becomes sort of a thematic thing if you look across tax reform more generally, the idea of if I'm a partner in a partnership that engages in some kind of U.S. trader business and has ECI, um, there's a drive towards attributing all of that trader business income up to the partner level. So similarly, do I have to now go through in a partnership that has literally no business operations is deemed to be engaged in a trader business for a portion of its activities? Right. And, and, I, and, I, and it's depending on the type of income, I mean, it, ECI is really only going to be relevant to a partnership with a foreign partner. Mm -hmm. So if you had a foreign partner and a U.S. partner, um, I think then this ECI could become a real, a real question, right? Especially if it was an individual partner who has to make that determination between investment and trader business. Oh, we could so, go down a whole yeah. path around the concept of we have lots of authority in a variety of just plain vanilla subchapter K areas that talk about when is trader business activity attributed up, up to the partner and when is it not. So we could use ECI as an example, but it's not the only one of trying to parse through when do I treat a partner as engaged in the trader business of it's the investments in the right. partnership. Lots of unanswered questions. Exactly. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.